0: Hello and welcome back to the Ectoplasm Show. Today we're going to talk about Charles Fort, a influential figure in the paranormal community. Even if you didn't know that he was, I, I, I guess I don't know. Have you, had you heard of Charles Fort before? I started. So when telling
1: you, you that we were going to do this episode, you mentioned to me that we were going to do an episode on Charles Fort, and I, I really frankly expected it to be some sort of haunted military fort or something like okay, this i yeah. had no idea who charles fort was which really shocks me because i'm not new to the particular genre you know mm-hmm. and i've listened to a lot of this stuff before and and he's such an impressioning figure on the whole paranormal
0: industry as it I exists he's kind today of you know somewhat forgotten about i th- i think that he was really influential for his time maybe not even for his time i don't know i'm just assuming that he could have he didn't he was successful in his time so it wasn't like he was a starving artist or whatever after he published the first book uh in this field but so, i really don't know i i mean i don't hear a lot of people in the community talk about charles fort there's the in society but i think that most people just assume that's whatever name they made up. They don't know where it comes from.
1: Right. And, and I can tell you without Charles Fort, you would not be listening to the ectoplasm show as we're sitting here today. I agree. And to that end, I'm Sam Culper alongside oh, yeah. my good buddy, Jason, Jason. Koopsik. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're here with another episode of the ectoplasm show. Proud member of the Podbelly podcasting network. Go to Podbelly Network com, check them out. All the good shows on there. But we wouldn't be here today without Charles Ford. He's kind of a pioneer in the the media aspect of the paranormal. Mm-hmm. I mean, there have always been things out there that people didn't understand, you know, the boogeyman, the, the cryptids, the, the, the stories of the monsters under the bed and the things in, in the dark and ghosts and spirits and all that stuff. That stuff's always been out there, but there wasn't really anyone who was telling the stories of
0: the people. That's true. But like you mentioned off air, there's a good possibility. He didn't really believe in any of this stuff. His whole drive was to show that, the scientific community didn't know everything at least from what i understand about his past and what what brought him to this is he was an anti-authoritarian long before he started collecting these stories right but but that's kind of what he did is he would collect the stories you Mm -hmm. know things like
1: um you know the 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 it's raining frogs yes. type stories. He's going to find some sort of crazy or awkward story of something that had happened. And he was going to seek out the the people who had observed it and let them tell their stories. And, and I, I think well, to he, a certain extent he, he wasn't that even
0: some, but most of it was, he would take, he would go to the library and come home right, with right, thousands right. of notes, right? Just from people's store, like newspaper articles right. from around the world. But,
1: um, in fact, I think that they used to make fun of him for collecting so much information mm-hmm. from the library, wondering what it was that he was going to do with it. Yeah. But, but as as he was was seeking out these stories from these witnesses and, and things like that, um, he would always, I mean, it was it was more like he was just objectively reporting. He was yeah. saying, "This is what they say that they his saw." His books
0: are like that. I've read his collective works, at least of the four books on this topic as far as i know none of the other books ever were published because he wrote several books before we'll get into his background in a few minutes but that's how his books are and maybe that's why it's not the easiest read it's definitely interesting but it's not the easiest read because it's factual not factual that's not the right it's the way it's written is just this happened then and, and there is a little bit of like pontification onto why it happened but it's mostly just this happened here at this time in this place and it was in this news article so it's not like he's telling a story or weaving a narrative so maybe it's harder to follow for somebody and maybe that's why it's not as popular oh.
1: and, and to give some context of of where this falls in the the history of of paranormal and paranormal media, I mean, the guy was born in 1874, which means yes. he was hitting prime time in, in the, at the very, very beginning of the 20th century, mm-hmm. you know? So, the the people who were consuming his information were very very few early on. Yeah, uh, for him to find people who were willing to publish his stuff and and tell those stories as he was writing them, um, you know, I mean, I, th- I think he probably had to work pretty hard to find an audience in the first place. Yeah, but there was no one else that was really doing this. There might be a newspaper article about someone seeing something crazy happen.
0: You know, one of the things that I like to do and what I've done for past episodes is you can go into the Library of Congress and go through their Chronicle of Newspaper and search terms and find articles going back to the late 1800s. And you just type in, like, Wild Man or even, like, Bigfoot wasn't really used at that time, but that's just an example. You can do that. Or Giant Skeletons. And Newspapers were filled with that stuff. Mo- a lot of it is people—yellow well, journalism. They just write something to sell papers. But there's there's a lot of it was popular to publish that sort of thing, right? Because people like to read about it, but but not to anthology it. No, but let's let's go into his past before we get a little farther into his uh, later works. So he was. He was Charles Hoy Fort. He was born in August sixth of eighteen seventy four in Albany, New York, to Anna Marie Smith and William Henry Fort. They were Dutch immigrants. His father was a grocer and an authoritarian, and is in his unpublished biography autobiography many parts fort mentions the physical abuse he endured from his father his biographer damon knight suggests that his distrust of authority began in his treatment as a child he was the eldest of three brothers his the others being clarence and the youngest being raymond their mother died within a few years of charles's birth and fort's father married again during fort's teens and dad was sure that he was going to go to work at the grocery store. Yeah,
1: I mean, that that was what he was supposed to do was was follow along in the family business. And, and I think with the relationship that he had with his father and, I mean, I think the one thing this guy was sure he did not want to do mm-hmm. was go to work as a grocer. Yeah. Um, but he had an uncle who, I guess, had a newspaper.
0: Um,
1: and I believe that's how he actually ended up getting into... The media um what was who was his uncle
0: i'm good uh-huh. i do have that in my notes further on i think his uncle left him a bunch of money right um frank fort um let's see well when he was a young adult he wanted to be a naturalist when he was a teenager he would go out and collect seashells and birds and and he was Described as curious, intelligent, he was not a good student. He developed a strong sense of independence during his early years. He grew up in an era when the world was undergoing significant changes with advances in science, technology, and exploration, opening up new possibilities and mysteries. He lived a mix of urban life with exposure to wonders and oddities of the world, likely contributed to the shape of his unique perspective. I I did find one mention that he was interested in the unusual and the unexplained when he was a kid, but the article itself looked like it was written by ChatGPT, so it may have been a hallucination. I don't know. (laughs) I didn't see that elsewhere about his childhood. Um, That same article did mention that at that time he would spend a lot of time in the local library, but I didn't see that anywhere else as a kid. But it would make sense that that aspect of him might be the same. Maybe he started doing that to get away from his father. At 18, he left for New York to embark on a world tour to put some capital in the bank of experience. He traveled through the Western United States, Scotland, and England until becoming ill in South Africa. When he returned home, he was nursed by Anna Filling, whom he had known since childhood. They were married October 26, 1896 at an Episcopal church. Fort and Anna settled down to a life of dire poverty in succession of tiny apartments in the Bronx and Hell's Kitchens quarters of New York City. He took odd jobs between infrequent sales of story, of his stories, most of which are now lost to newspapers and magazines. At times, things were so bad the forts had to use their furniture for firewood, and Anna knew all of their neighbors’ affairs. Fort himself had very few friends. Ford's experience as a journalist coupled with his wit and contrarian nature prepared him for his real-life work, ridiculing the pretentious pretensions of scientific positivism and the tendency of journalists and editors of newspapers and scientific journal to rationalize. I don't see anything in here about his uncle until farther when he passed away and he yeah, got an inheritance. Yeah, his uncle left him the money, but... And I'm not sure
1: where... It does go on to trying. I'm trying to find it somewhere else because I know I read earlier that he had... There was some sort of inspiration there that was like, this is an alternative
0: to the grocery store life. Um, Well, he did. He wrote 10 novels and only one of them, the Outcast Manufacturers, it was uh, actually published. What were his novels about? It says the reviews were positive... i I don't know look up the outcast manufacturers from 1909 and see if they give a blurb on what it's about it was unsuccessful commercially so it's probably out of print these days Uh, during 1915 fort began to write two books titled x and y The first dealing with the idea that beings on Mars were controlling events on Earth. And the second with the postulation of a sinister civilization extent on the South Pole. It was before the Nazis at the South Pole. These books caught the attention of writer Theodore Dresser, who tried to get them published, but to no avail. He burnt the manuscripts, so we don't know what those are. In 1919, he published his seminal work, The Book of the Damned, this groundbreaking book was a compilation of anomalous reports ranging from UFO sightings to bizarre weather events, from accounts of spontaneous combustion to encounters with mysterious creatures. The title referred to Damned Data by Fort, phenomenon for which science could not account, and that was thus rejected or ignored. Fort challenged the scientific establishment of his time, urging them to explore these anomalies with an open mind. Now, I had tried to no avail, even though I have the book. I have the book. It's actually on my end table right now because um, I was going to bring it and I forgot. But I tried to find online just a simple list of 10 things that of the strangest things that uh, Fort included in his book. And they're not there's no articles. Everything on Google is Oh, go to Amazon, buy his book. Or we sell his book here. Or we sell his book there. Right. Or here's a wiki about him. Um, there's. So I, I wanted to do that. I did find. I found. I put it in here. But when I was looking at uh, news for our news episode we just did, I found a news article <laughs> from August of this year. Utah family stumped after finding over a dozen dead fish in backyard. <laughs> A family in Utah were left scratching their heads when they discovered that their backyard was littered with over a dozen dead fish that had seemingly fallen from the sky. So this is exactly the kind of stuff he would find and put in his books.
1: So so this is kind of interesting. I've, I've found you can still get a copy of the outfast, Outcast Manufacturers, um, but it is almost impossible for me to find anything that tells... What this story is actually about, um, under the overview, everywhere that I can find it, says the Outcast Manufacturers is the only published novel by Charles Fort. Fort wrote ten novels, though only one, the, ma- the Outcast Manufacturers, was published in 1909 and was later serialized in the American edition of Pearson's Magazine. Only five chapters were published in Pearson's. Understanding Fort's books take time and effort. His style is complex, violent, and poetic profound and occasionally puzzling ideas are abandoned and then recalled a few pages on examples and data are offered compared and contrasted conclusions are made and then broken as fort holds up his unorthodox to the scrutiny of the orthodoxy that continually fails to account for them pressing on his attack fort shows that he sees what he sees as the ridiculousness of the conventional explanations and then interjects with his own theories Charles Hoy Fort was an American writer and researcher into the ano- anomalous phenomenon. Today, the terms Fortian and Fortiana are used as char- used to characterize such phenomena. So basically, this is probably why he didn't get published. Every they were every were says it, it, it's it's <laughs> like we don't really understand what it is that he's saying because mm-hmm. it, it looks like he's a constant contradiction.
0: Yeah, my my guess is that's he from his books. The, he puts in his own words, but they're chronic, they're, they're, his novels probably weren't good. Like He probably wasn't a good author when it came to that, and that's probably why. I mean, you can kind of assume from outcast manufacturers that that's what it would be about, but clearly it sounds like they don't even know what it's about.
1: Well, I know after uh, seven websites, I don't know what it's about, and now I really <laughs> want to know, so...
0: Well, i have to get a copy of it. No, I'm not going to read it. Uh, That's just crazy talk. Fort Nana lived intermittently in London between 1920 and 1928, so Ford could carry out research in his reading room of the British Museum. Although born in Albany, Fort lived most of his life in the Bronx. He was, like his wife, fond of movies, often took her from their Ryer Avenue apartment to a movie theater nearby, Stopping at an adjacent newsstand for an armful of various newspapers, Fort frequented the parks near the Bronx, where he sifted through piles of clippings. He often rode the subway down to the main public library on Fifth Avenue, where he spent many hours reading scientific journals, newspapers, and periodicals from around the world. Fort also had literary friends who gathered at various apartments, including his own, to drink and talk. For more than 30 years, Charles Fort visited libraries in New York City and London, assiduously reading scientific journals, newspapers, and magazines, collecting notes on phenomenon that were not explained well by the accepted theories and beliefs of the time. Fort took thousands of notes during his lifetime. In his undated short story, The Giant, The Insect, and The Philanthropic Look at Old Gentlemen," maybe you could look that one up. Say that again? The Giant, the Insect, and the Philanthropic-Looking Old Gentleman. is a short story of his. First published by the International Fortean... Oh, so he didn't publish it himself. An organization published it in their uh, scientific journal. First published by the International Fortean Organization in issue number 70 of the INFO journal, Science and the Unknown... Fort spoke of having often toyed with the idea of burning a collection of some 40,000 notes and of one day setting, letting several notes be blown away by the wind because he couldn't be bothered to save them. He said that some old nice gentleman returned them to him. All right. So I have this right here. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and give
1: it to you. All right. Here, here's what it's like to read Charles Fort. This is The Giant, The Insect, and The Philanthropic-Looking Old Gentleman, Part 1 by Charles Fort. Part 1, okay. It's two parts. I have 48,000 notes. I've been through everything. Chemistry, meteorology, sociology, electricity, magnetism, architecture, Mm -hmm. music, psychology, astronomy, ethics, taking notes, reading books, and going over indexes of hundreds of notes a day. Sometimes geology etymology entomology biology zoology critology, histology and over the library in the morning out for dinner pencil and pad with a knife and fork in front of me back to the library home to take more notes until bedtime history then philosophy evolutionary mechanics mathematics logic civil engineering it sounds like a correspondence schools circular anthropology Physiology, ethnology, military, and naval strategies, sculpture, economics, notes piling up on the mantelpiece, and when about 3,000 are there, then I classify them. Why? But to answer that would make me reasonable. What are you doing and why? Undoubtedly, you can't give a reason. Perhaps you're doing whatever you're doing in order that you shall live, but why should you live? See for yourself. We can give reasons, but when it comes to reasons for reasons, stumped, that's all. I had a theory. Because of the theory, I took hundreds of notes a day. Well, that's reasonable, isn't it? But was the theory itself reasonable? If it was, then there I was with the second degree of reasonableness. That's not human. We're rational beings only of the first degree. After that comes, I don't know, spirits or something. So... I wore out my eyesight and the pencils and the breeches material. I got my coat all shiny at the elbows for a theory that I've never tested because so to do would be rationality of the second degree, which isn't human. And then it goes on. Yeah. He does talk about the theory later on, but I'm not sure. So this isn't We're a short really story. Going this to, is just musings. This is just his mind rambling he is on. He just rambling on. Uh, his theory was that all things are one, that all phenomena are governed by the same laws, that whatever is true or whatever we call true of the planets. So there's planets, the
0: universal right, theory that everybody's talking about lately. Of the planets, the plants
1: and the magnets is what we all call true of human beings. That if among such wildly dissimilar phenomena as the moon, the elementary elementary canal of an anteater, the glacial erosions, we can discover the uniformalities. Uh, There we have all the associations of events commonly called laws, which may equally be in control of human affairs. So, I mean, I think he's saying everything's all related. And kind of what I've talked about before is that there's a reason for everything. Mm Mm-hmm. But it takes 30,000 notes to somehow rationalize that.
0: Well, I mean, uh, it makes sense, though. It does. It, so, it, somebody has to it get makes through that sense. to come up with that theory. Um, but also, I don't think he believes that theory. But that doesn't mean he doesn't think it's possible from what... Not, not just from what that was said there, just from other things that I've read about him.
1: Well, yeah, and I'm not sure... What I can say is he seems very intelligent, but he's not a particularly eloquent writer. He uses all of the words. He
0: also, so his books obviously were published during his lifetime. So they were written outside of the shorthand, but all of his notes were written in a shorthand of his own invention. So if you got those boxes of notes, you wouldn't know what they say. So it's hard to say... What he was <laughs> thinking with that—that's interesting. I didn't realize that he had done his yeah. Own it says the notes were kept on cards and scraps of paper and shoeboxes in a cramped shorthand of Charles Fort's own invention. More than once, depressed and discouraged, first destroyed his work but began anew. Some notes were published by the and Society magazine. Doubt and upon his death of. Upon the death of the editor of that, Tiffany Thayer, in 1959, most were donated to the New York Public Library, where they are still available for researchers. Material created by Charles Fort had also survived as part of the papers of Theodore Dresser, held at the University of Pennsylvania.
1: So is the, the singular Fordian Society, is that the current iteration of the Fordian Society?
0: Well, I have a couple things on that coming up there may be more than one Fortean society in fact let's go to, let's skip ahead okay we'll talk about the Fortean society here real quick the Fortean society was initiated at the savoy plaza hotel in new york city on january 26 1931 so during his lifetime by some of the forts friends fort however rejected the society and refused the presidency which went to the fr- his friend dresser he was lured into, or sorry, he was lured to its inaugural meeting by false telegrams. Wasn't Theodore Dresser like his biographer? Ultimately? Yeah, it was his. He's the one that a lot of the information comes from. He was the one that got him published in the first place. Right. As a strict non-authoritarian, Fort refused to establish himself as an authority and further objected on the grounds that those who would be attracted by such a group would be spiritualists, zealots, and those opposed to science that rejected them. It would attract those who believe in their chosen phenomenon an attitude exactly contrary to Fortianism. Fort did hold unofficial meetings and had long history of getting together informally with his friends. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that he didn't want to be a part of the society built based on him. And I really think that when he talks about here that it would attract those who believe in their chosen phenomenon, that would be contrary to Fortyism. To me, that means that people would be blinded by their faith in something that they believe in within the paranormal field which i think is a big problem these days yeah i I mean that's that's a a
1: very regular problem i mean
0: i mean that's outside the the paranormal field too for
1: sure it's a problem in science in general right now but particularly in the paranormal field where the paranormal field exists on confirmation bias yeah you know, I, I want something to happen. Therefore, I'm going to look really, really hard to find something that looks like it happened that meets my expectation. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I can see why he would have a real problem with that.
0: Yeah, I do try to I, I do find myself having that issue at times. But for the most part, I feel like I've grounded myself outside of that when I look at the paranormal field anyways. Yes. Yeah, OK, so the terms Fortean and Fortiana are sometimes used to characterize various such phenomenon. Fort's books sold well and are still in print. His work continues to inspire admirers who refer to themselves as Fortians and has influenced some aspect of the scientific or science fiction. Now, I can say I was interested in the paranormal for a long time before I found Charles Fort, but I didn't take the road down to actually looking into anything paranormal field. Or outside of reading about it until I read his books. So so which all of his books have you read? I've read his collected works, which is his four books together. It's okay. Book of the Damned, Low. I have the list here. So all of the nonfiction books, though. Yes, there's four of them. Well, there was five of them, but the other one didn't get actually get published. It didn't get finished. I don't, I don't have that list here. I don't know why I didn't include. I, I think I do have it farther in here okay so some of the examples of the odd phenomenon in fort's books include many occurrences do you know that you have your light on on your phone
1: what i feel like i'm being judged right
0: now i'm not being i'm not judging you i just don't want you to use up your battery if you're not using it
1: <laughs> i fixed it um for those of you out there I fixed it
0: yeah okay so let's get back to it Ford's fort's books include many occurrences of the sort Variously referred to as occult, supernatural, and paranormal, reported events include teleporta- teleportation, a term Fort is generally credited with inventing. So that term teleportation wasn't used before Fort used it. I don't know if that still holds true, but I think that as w- w- the pa- the paper that I was reading that mentioned so- this... Do you know the context with which he was discussing teleportation? He was m- for the most part its objects moving from one part of the house or one place to another rather than people. Falling uh, falls of frogs, fishes and inorganic in materials such as the Kentucky meat shower, spontaneous human combustion, ball lightning, a term explicitly used by Fort Poltergeist events, unaccountable noises and explosions, levitation, unidentified flying objects, unexplained disappearances, giant wheels of light in the oceans, and animals found outside their normal ranges, such as phantom cats. He offered many reports of -of out-of-place artifacts, artifacts, which are ooparts, strange items found in unlikely locations. So this says... The
1: use of the term teleport to describe the hypothetical movement of material objects between one place and another without physically traveling the distance between them has been documented as early as 1878. American writer Charles Fort is credited with having coined the word teleportation in 1931 to describe the strange disappearances and appearances of anomalies which he suggested may be connected as... In the earlier usage, he joined the Greek prefix prefix tele, meaning remote, and the root of the Latin verb portar, to carry. its first formal use of the word occurred in the second chapter of his 1931 book, Lo. Mostly in this book, I shall specialize upon indications that there exists a transitory force that I shall call teleportation. I shall be accused of having assembled lies, yarns, and hoaxes and superstitions. To some degree, I think so myself. To some degree, I do not. I offer the data. Mm. So again, I mean, again, that's his objective. Yeah. I don't know if I believe it or not. Maybe I do, but I'm just mm-hmm. going to tell you what what I've learned. Yeah. So uh, it's it's interesting. One of the things that you talked about was spontaneous combustion. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I've been looking around through here, I've been looking at kind of the sphere of influence of, of Charles Fort. And we've talked about how all of your, your paranormal reporting kind of stems from this guy mm-hmm. basically um, who was working as uh, someone who would, would go through and find all of these stories in different places and then put together and, and, and he would, would basically um, anthologize them, I guess, mm-hmm. or curate, yeah. the paranormal stories, but this is talking about his sphere of influence. And this talks about Stephen King using the works of Fort to, to illuminate his main characters, notably it and Fire starters. It and Firestarter. In Firestarter, the parents of the pyrokinetically gifted child are advised to read Fort's wild talents rather than the works of baby doctor Benjamin Spock. Um, you know, I mean, so so Stephen King yeah. at least was somebody who was a student sure. of Fort as well, but... He would have you know, to be with all the stuff that of he Of course wrote he about, would have yeah. to be. So it's, it's it's really interesting to see. And this is talking about all of the different um, authors that, that have credited him or in, incorporated... Um, his ideas uh, this is um, people talking about the teleporting of animals in movies and things like that that they're 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 referring back to him so it's it's kind of interesting to see that sphere of, of influence
0: well I love that the basis of his drive to do this is what the field should still be today and that's questioning everything it's too yeah he's just questioning the veracity of everything believed
1: it just about has to be with without that what what do we have mm-hmm. i mean um we have imagination
0: yeah
1: and i i don't want to write off so many paranormal stories by virtue of imagination yeah so but you know i want to question them and i want to analyze things and i want to see objective evidence and not just someone telling a story yeah
0: So, so he was also perhaps the first person to explain strange human appearances and disappearances by the hypothesis of alien abduction and was an early proponent of the extraterrestrial hypothesis specifically suggesting the strange lights or objects in the skies sighted in the skies might be alien spacecraft. So not only so you you probably wouldn't know this being kind of outside the community for the most part that. The community is really divided. There's there's so much so that, and and I know that this is, you know, the rest of the world's like this too, but the word paranormal, even within the community, a lot of people associate that just with ghosts, just with ghosts. Things that are paranormal are just ghosts or haunting. And then there's a UFO world, and then there's a cryptid world. To me, the word paranormal encompasses all of that. But there are big separations in the paranormal community that just use the word term paranormal for ghosts and alien or ghosts and hauntings only
1: right and for me being outside of the community paranormal is anything that is essentially extraordinary to mainstream mm-hmm. science
0: and it's, this just shows that even charles Fort is not only an early pioneer in paranormal like the haunting and ghosts and unexplained side he's also you know a founding father of the ufo community so he, he's in my opinion he's not given enough credit within the community for what he started even if it wasn't his goal to start it
1: well and it sounds like he wasn't particularly proud that he did start it you know i mean well, yeah when I mean, you look at look at that. his his lack of faith in his fordian society or not wanting to yeah you but know, did that
0: I mean, I, I guess we'll never know. But did that come from the phenomenon itself or the authority of that society that he disagreed with? Sure.
1: that could very could very well be. I mean, it, it's it, what what astounds me the most is that, you know of you, you know me, I don't believe in anything, but mm-hmm. I'm fascinated by everything. I yeah. love all of these stories, whether we're talking about UFOs and aliens or whether we're talking about, the occult, or or the spirits and the ghosts, or religion, um, you know, or the the things like um, telepathy or teleportation, or you know, all all of all of these things that I would encompass into the paranormal. I've I've always been fascinated by them, and I've always read and studied and listened to. It, but but for me to not know who Charles Fort is, mm-hmm. and I'm not the only one. I mean, yeah, uh, just just searching for him that there is not a wealth of knowledge on this guy Mm.
0: you know and it's not really honestly it's not really about him but he should be acknowledged more in what he what he started really uh so several times in his books fort refers to poltergeist like events in their apartments in the bronx and in london inexplicable noises would be heard and pictures fell off walls Dresser once interviewed Anna after Fort's death and asked her if she had had any further strange experiences. She told him of rapping sounds and voices. So they did experience some paranormal activity of their own. But that kind of, it seems like that started after he looked into it, which is also a thing in the community. Like people start having more interaction with things after they're researching it precisely what is encompassed by the term fortian is a matter of great debate the term is widely applied to people ranging from fortian purists dedicated to fort's methods and interests to those with open and active acceptance of the actuality of paranormal phenomenon a belief with which fort may not have agreed most generally most generally fortians have a wide interest in unexplained phenomenon concerning mostly with the natural world and have a developed agnostic skepticism regarding what the anomalies they note and discuss. So that's a big part of the Fortean society, at least from what they're founded as, is everyone that looks into this should have a skepticism about what they're looking at. But that doesn't mean not to look into it. I think I can get behind that. I mean... Because I mean that you know that's how Fort was right, so. and, and
1: especially in this day and age, more than ever, you have to be skeptical about what you look mm-hmm. at. Because
0: I mean, well, it's all about your own experience for well, the most part, especially in this field.
1: It is about your own experience, but when you think about in 1918, when Charles Fort was experiencing his own, you know, occult or um, poltergeist situations, or mm-hmm. when he was reading these stories. I mean, the ability of someone to hoax then versus the ability of someone to do a widespread, complicated hoax
0: now. Yeah, there is that. There is. It is different, but there were definitely like the whole spiritualist movement at that time was just, I mean, I can't say it was 100% full of hoaxers, but that's kind of what it was. Of course. The whole ectoplasm, which we get our name from. Right. There, I, I do believe in the possibility of I don't I, I do believe that it's possible that ectoplasm could be a real thing but I think that the majority of that was faked
1: Well I mean that was around the time that we you really started seeing widespread photography
0: mm-hmm.
1: and some of the the earliest faked photography where you had you know the the double exposure mm-hmm. images and things like that started coming out but but there was a huge I mean, you had people like Harry Houdini that was was running around trying to disprove yeah. the occultists and um, things like that. So I mean, it, it was it, it was still a big thing. But but the other thing about this guy that's interesting is is how widespread his interest was. Mm-hmm. This is not the guy who was the UFOologist or yeah. who was you know just looking at ghosts or just doing um, just trying to read minds or do um seances or you know i mean the, he, he was interested in everything that was outside of the mainstream mm-hmm. norm yeah you know i mean it was a very very broad range of interests
0: yeah so there was there is another uh group out there it was called the international 40 organization or info for short it was formed in early 1960s It does publish, uh, at least at the time of the writing of this, a a journal of the science and the unknown. It organizes a Fort Fest, which is the world's first continually running conference on anomalous phenomenon dedicated to the spirit of Charles Charles Fort. Now, at the time of this writing, it was still going, but they actually ended that event. 2017 was the last year that I could find for it. What would one do at a Fort Fest? It was a lot like my event sure um it was just a paranormal conference but this started long ago 1960s is when it started so that's his life we'll get into his death here so as he aged he grew progressively blind which had to suck if you know his whole life was reading on 3rd of May 1932 he was admitted to the hospital suffering from unspecified weakness. He died within a few hours, apparently, of leukemia. After he collapsed on May 3rd, 1932, Fort was rushed to Royal Hospital. Later that same day, Fort's publisher visited him to show him the advanced copies of Wild Talents. Fort died only hours afterwards, probably of leukemia. He took notes almost to the end. The last one simply said, difficulty shaving, gaunt places in face. After he died, Anna lost her interest in living and survived him by five years. He is interred at the Fort Family Plot in Albany, New York. So I do have a timeline of his life. Some of them we talked about here and some of them we haven't. So he was born in 1874 in Albany, New York. In 1889, at age 15, he wrote to Jules Verne for his autograph. In 1892, age 18, left home to escape tyrannical father, Worked on a New York newspaper, 1893, age 19, made editor of the Long Island paper. So that's something that wasn't in my other notes, which is probably the uncle thing you saw, or at least he was working at a newspaper. He quit to hitchhike around the world. In 1896, age 22, after traveling through southern USA, Scotland, Wales, and London, he reached Cape Town, South Africa, contracted malaria, returned to New York, and married Anna. 1897, age 23, lived in the Bronx in dire poverty, survived by small jobs, journalism, and broke chairs for firewood, wrote 10 novels, and collected 25,000 notes, but burned them. What do do we know why he burned his notes? Well, if they're living in dire pro- poverty, he could have been burning those to stay warm because he was already burning furniture and stuff. But it, it mentioned several times throughout his life where he just got done with what he was doing and he was just, so just like, like a binging, like somebody throwing their laptop or deleting everything off of it. He's just done in 1900, age 26. He completed the autobiography Many Parts, which was never released. 1905, so that was, he, he completed his autobiography before he did most of the uh, paranormal, the book of the damn work. 1905, age 31, Fort trying to sell his work meets magazine editor Theodore Dresser. They become firm friends. In 1906, age 32, virtually a hermit between home and New York Public Library began grand tour of scientific journals. So he didn't start really... Diving in until 1906, 1915, age 41, writes X and Y. Dresser encourages him to begin Book of the Damned. In 1916, age 42, Fort's luck turned. A modest inheritance from his uncle allows him to concentrate on writing. 1919, age 45, Dresser gets his publisher to issue Book of the Damned. Nineteen twenty, age forty-six, in a, the depression or in a depression of his, he burned his forty thousand notes. He and Anna stay in London for six months, then back to New York. That's amazing. Nineteen forty or nineteen twenty-one, age forty-seven, moved back to London in December. Stayed for eight happy and productive years. Worked daily in the British Museum Library. N.L. published. Speaks at speakers' corner for amusement. 1924 age 54 first correspondence was Thayer, which is the lady that went on to run the society 1929 age 55 back to bronx back in the bronx from london 1931 age 57 low published thayer and Sussman form 40 in society beginning of illness 1932 age 58 delivers wt which is the wild talents so that one is in there that one's is in the the Book of the, the, the collected works. Admitted to Royal Hospital, where he dies on May 3rd, 1937, Anna died.
1: So, where, where did you say his notes that exist
0: are cataloged? They are, let me get back up here. So, they are held in two places. Most were donated to the New York Public Library, where they're still available to researchers. Th- Dresser donated his survived papers to the University of Pennsylvania so I've, okay go ahead. so
1: what I'm, I'm i'm just i'm curious about have you seen any examples of his notes his notes
0: no i was going to look into this but or into that but i just hadn't gotten around to it i was trying to find other topics for this evening
1: so th- this is kind of interesting he really it looks looks like he used his own set of abbreviations mm-hmm and this is going to be great for all of you listeners at home. I'll put it in the but, show notes. Um, I've I found, you know, a, you can see here that A, oh, okay. B is about, A, C space, T, O is according to. Oh, that so one, they some, don't even
0: know what it is.
1: Some things that are, are obvious, some things that are not quite so obvious, you know, but it's all just a shorthand. Um dash 29 the note copies information from page 79 of the book of the damned oh, okay. you know like he's made his own shorthand to to get himself around his stuff f in parentheses was fletcher's list not low as you know i mean so but there's there's just a, a, a list of, of of awkward
0: what's that one thunder what thunderstorms is th yeah. okay. th storm is a sense, thunderstorm
1: yeah. volc is volcano um versus vulc which is vulcan or the planet um you know it's just it's ghst was ghost frg frgs is frogs it's bld like, is blood like it's like he just took out all of the the vowels the vowels so he could write as quickly as possible so because i was trying to find an example of an actual an image of his notes to see what they looked like and i haven't really found that yet but this is a description of what they might actually look like Hmm. but
0: um, my guess is this is a very short description of what it probably actually contains sure okay so the last thing that i have on Fort is several quotes i'll just go through those i believe in nothing of my own that i have ever written i've heard i mean that's the most popular one is Mm -hmm. that yeah the earth is a farm we are someone else's property that's very uh, I think that's probably you're putting your own context to it. I think I've seen that in other context where he likens so He's not talking about the simulation. I don't think so. I think he was talking about Is, how we look at lower lower life forms on our planet and so how aliens might look at us.
1: Doesn't Didn't he talk somewhere about the most very the the most simplified example of the we're living in a simulation type type theory. I think
0: some of that's accredited to him. I didn't I didn't get to that in this. I mean, without without the the computer age,
1: mm-hmm.
0: in in the context of, of
1: AI and you know stuff yeah. like that. I mean, but but I I believe that I that I'd read or heard something about him. I can see how somebody some might stuff.
0: interpret some of the stuff he said as potentially that. If there is a true universal mind, must it be sane? I've often
1: thought that. (laughs) I mean, if if you do believe in God, I mean, Mm -hmm. you, you hope that he's mentally healthy.
0: Yeah. Wise men have tried to understand our state of being by grasping at its stars or its arts or its economics. But if there is an underlying oneness of all things, it does not matter where we begin whether with the stars or the laws of supply and demand or frogs and a Napoleon Bonaparte, one measures a circle beginning anywhere. Well, that was a lot of words. Mm-hmm. I added the rest of that because usually he's just accredited one measures a circle beginning anywhere, but I wanted to add a little context. Sure. Now. The fate of all explanation is to close one door only to have another one fly wide open. Which I'm sure you've heard that quote before and that's sure. credited to him. The theologians have recognized that the ideal is that Im- is the imitation of God. If we be a part of such an organic thing, the thing is God to us as I am God to the cells that compose me. So that's that could be seen in a simulation sense.
1: Yeah. Or, uh, you know, when you when you talk about
0: the various aspects of the Fermi
1: paradox, you know, um Basically, with the discrepancy of size, of space and time, and mm-hmm. you know, when when you think about us and what we would be to an ant, yeah, you know what I mean. Well, so and not that's where the
0: the other the other right. one: the Earth is a farm; we are someone's right. property. He was talking about that very thing. Right. Science is a turtle that says that its own shell encloses all things. So that's his anti-authoritarian. Yeah. Saying that the scientific community only believes in what it believes in. Sure, sure. One can't be in an inquiring and experimental nature and still be very sensible. I don't know that I buy that. Mm, Yeah. Science of today, the superstition of tomorrow. Science of tomorrow, the superstition of today.
1: That's been proven time and time again Mm -hmm.
0: witchcraft always has a hard time until it becomes established and changes its name we hear much of the conflict between science and religion but our conflict is with both of these science and religion always have agreed in opposing and suppressing the various witchcrafts now that religion is inglorious One of the most fantastic of transferences of worship is that of glorifying science as a beneficial being. It is that it is the attributing of all that is of development or of possible betterment to science. But no science has ever upheld a new idea without being upon itself abused from other scientists. Science has done its utmost to prevent whatever science has done.
1: So we got to get out of our own way.
0: Yeah, I mean that's a long-winded way of saying stop limiting yourself based on your experiences. Right.
1: Once you think that you know everything, mm-hmm. you know, then then you've you've then you have to believe there's more out there. Yeah. You know, otherwise you're you're not going to discover the new the next new thing. I guess.
0: I've gone into the outer darkness of scientific and philosophical transactions and proceedings. Ultra respectable. But covered with the dust of disregard, I have descended into journalism, I have come back with the quasi-soul of lost data. Unknown luminous things or beings have often been seen, sometimes close to earth and sometimes high in the sky. It may be that some of them were living things that occasionally come from somewhere else in our existence but that others were lights or vessels of explorers or voyagers or somewhere else. So that's pretty straightforward. He was talking about UFOs and and, and you think he, he, he believed he believed in them or I would say that he probably approached it the same way he approached everything else. He seems to, and this could be my own bias, but he seems to hold his view on it a lot like I do, where he believes in the possibility of it but doesn't believe in it. Right. At least that's what I take from it. Sure. Uh, the great difficulty that authoritativeness has to contend with is some other authoritativeness and last but not least if nobody looks up or checks up what the astronomers tell us they are free to tell us anything that they want to tell us (laughs) that's pretty funny so that's charles fort he is godfather to all the paranormal field in my opinion not Godfather, Founding Father. Yeah. I mean, sure There were spiritualists and people that talked about paranormal things long before him, but he took it to another level, in my opinion. And a lot of the stuff, he brought it all together right. as well. He curated it all. Mm-hmm. But
1: uh, what I do know is I'll probably spend some time digging into him a little bit more because I am interested in him i don't particularly want to read his books (laughs) they are long and
0: uh, they're very interesting if you are wanting to read about that individual phenomenon and the expanse of it but they're not really theory like they're not they're once you've read about a dozen falling fish stories the rest of the falling fish stories don't bring a whole lot other than to show that it's a, a you know much more expansive than you thought
1: right Wow. Well, it was, I I appreciate you bringing the new, the new topic because it's just not something that, like I said, I, I I knew about and I, so many of the stories that are on, on podcasts are are things that are regurgitated over and over again. And this is not one that I was familiar with. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of, kind of fun to hear about somebody new. Um,
0: I did. I, so I, I also tried to find some podcasts to listen to over the last couple of days and they're few and far between as far as just about him. Um, there's a few, but yeah. And, and there's a few that are much more extensive than this episode will be.
1: Well, it just, it looks like there's just not a wealth of information about mm-hmm. him. Yeah. You know, I mean, clearly people knew him and, you know, he did have his friend and his biographer that tried to keep his story alive, but he also sounded like he was his own worst enemy and that uh, he put together all of this wealth of information and then he would yeah throw it all out and sure. start over again. So the good
0: thing about that is All those notes were based on something that's still there for the most part. I would assume so. That those, even though we don't know what they are because or his source where they came from, that source is probably still out there somewhere again. I'm not going to go back through and catalog all of them, but I'm sure somebody could. If anybody's got some time looking for a hobby, (laughs) I uh, I he his book was a big influence that transitioned part of my paranormal life i guess so i had been you know i was a kid in grade school checking out books and reading them but i didn't know who charles ford until my early 20s when i was went to the local library on lunch one day and picked up his book and read through it and that made me change into well, maybe I can go out and look for this stuff myself, even though that he didn't necessarily do that or advocate that he showed the expanse of it and made me think that it's more than just reading about it.
1: Well, I'm going to go on eBay right now and see what I can find for the Book of the
0: Damned. You can always borrow mine. If oh, you, if come you, on. You got to have one on the shelf. Well, you, you, you for about the same price. You can buy each individual book or you can buy the collective works, which include all of them for the same price of one of the other ones. So I guess it just depends on how extensive you want to go or I feel like I've been redirected to the Queen of the Damned by Anne Rice. (laughs) So anyways, that's Charles Fort and uh, yeah, go to ectoplasmshow.com give us a call yeah give us a call 913-730-7255 let us know if you have heard of charles Ford, or if we left anything out that you know of from charles Ford, or suggest something else because this there are other people that are considered forefathers of the paranormal community a lot of them are also considered forefathers of like the spiritualist community but they don't necessarily um he he didn't he talked about spiritualism in his stories but he wasn't a spiritualist himself which is what a lot of the other founding fathers of the paranormal field were so let's know if there's a specific person from the past that you feel influenced that you'd like us to cover and we'll look into them as well have anything else to say before we go yeah i just found a
1: really great leather bound 1919 copy how much 28 bucks
0: it's used from 1919 we'll see it probably first edition 19 28 we'll gull- bucks we'll see we'll see <laughs> I, I don't know if i believe hey, that
1: <laughs> check out podbelly.com go listen to us on ectoplasm and uh check back with us soon we'll go sign up source. for
0: patreon because even though right now it's there's it will be reworked here soon so just sign up for a dollar so that you're in there once we make the changes the ectoplasm show is brought to you by north kc's big rip brewing company Lighten up dark matter, have a craft beer!